0: Tonight's message will be sermon number 14 in the series on infant salvation, and it will be the second part of the view of baptismal regeneration. In the previous message, we have introduced the view of infant salvation based upon the belief that regenerating grace is conferred upon the sinful nature of the infant through the physical element of water baptism. And this view is predominantly held by the Roman Catholic Church. This position is known as sacramental grace, that the grace of God begins the Christian experience we agree upon. For by grace are you saved through faith. God hath quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Grace must take the initiative. Christian life begins not with man's act, but with God's act. Grace starts the procedure. But the Roman Catholics agree with us on that, but they say that that grace is limited and bound up in an ordinance known as water baptism. So then you can always know when the grace of God starts in a person's life. It does not start until you are baptized. This is known as sacramental grace. This position agrees with the scriptures that all men fell in Adam and have inherited from him a nature which is sinful, and that secondly, all men are born into this world as an object of condemnation under the wrath of God's justice. Adam's sin affected two persons. It affected God, it affected man. It affected God in that he brought his judicial wrath down upon Adam. It affected man in that it gave him a nature which was sinful and defiled and did not love God, so that this nature which Adam inherited was passed on to his posterity in what is known as original sin. And every human being which has ever been born into this world has inherited both the sinful nature and the just deserts of the wrath of God upon that nature. Only one which we must qualify, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was enabled to escape that through the miraculous manner of the virgin birth, which we will not go into this evening. Now, this position of sacramental grace holds with us that the Bible teaches that all fell in Adam and have a sinful nature, and are under the wrath of God. But then it affirms that God's wrath can only be appeased, and that man's nature can only be changed by the grace of God, which is conveyed through the element of water baptism. Thus, the system of sacramental grace admits and logically affirms that any infant or adult which dies unbaptized, cannot be taken into the happiness of heaven. That is, the Church of Rome clearly affirms this. They admit it. Their logic of their proposition states it, that any infant or adult which dies unbaptized cannot be admitted into the happiness of heaven, because its nature is unholy, and the wrath of God still abides upon that sinful nature." Now, the main distinction between us and the sacramentalists of Rome is this. Now listen carefully, because this is what we're going to be discussing the rest of the evening. Does the Christian life begin and originate in the baptismal waters, or does baptism serve to portray an external sign? That an inward spiritual life has already previously begun. Now, that's the proposition which we've got to examine tonight from the Word of God. Or to put it in another way, does the waters of baptism cause regenerating grace to begin to flow, or are the waters of baptism the evidence of regenerating grace having already begun to flow? Where does Christian life start? Does it start in the baptismal waters? Or do the baptismal waters represent that life has already started to flow? That is the difference between us and the Church of Rome in dealing with the matter of the grace of God. Now, we'll examine some of the texts which are used to teach the sacramental position of baptismal regeneration. I trust you have your Bibles with you tonight. If you do, then please turn first to John chapter 3. This is the predominant text which the Church of Rome has used through the centuries to teach, that baptism is that which conveys regeneration. John chapter 3 and verses 3 through 5. Verse 5 is the text. I think that we'll read it first, and then go back and just look at the immediate context. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is one of the main texts which is used by the sacramentalists to teach that except a man be born of water. And they immediately explain that that means baptism, except a man be baptized with water and by the Spirit, then he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you will notice the context, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Nicodemus, that is, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, or literally born from above. The emphasis here is not so much on the nature of the secondness as it is from the source. Except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus stated the text which we just read in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, the debate involving this text revolves around the meaning of the word water. John 3, 5, except a man be born of water. What does the water denote? There are three major and one minor interpretation which has been given to this passage of Scripture. The one minor interpretation which is found, but not in the major commentaries which God has used through the years of writers to comment upon the Scriptures, but there is one minor view which is held, it has some validity. But we do not hold that it is the actual meaning, but we give it to you. And that is that the word water has reference to the physical birth of a person, and that it refers to the woman's bag of waters in which the baby is conceived and carried in, and that When that individual is born, they are delivered into this world in a body or a bag of water, referring to the physical birth. So that that view would have this understanding of the scripture here. Except a man be born physically and spiritually, then he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a very logical thing. Uh, I don't think that's the emphasis which Jesus is making to Nicodemus here, though, but we do present that, and uh, many hold to that position, particularly in the realm of Baptists. Now, there are three other, though, major interpretations of this passage of Scripture. One is that the water here is the baptism of John the Baptist. The second major view is that the water is the sacrament or the ordinance of Christian baptism. That's the view of the Roman Catholic Church. And the third major view is that the water is symbolical of spiritual regeneration. And that is the position which we will be affirming, but we want to examine all of these views. We've already presented the minor one, and that being that the birth of water is the physical birth. And the advocates of this view follow up in verse six, with John with Jesus' words to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that is the physical birth. Except a man be born of water, that is born out of the woman's out of the womb, and where the water that they are conceived in and carried in, and unless they be born delivered into have life in that fashion, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, unless that they are regenerated and renewed in their nature, then they cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, and they refer to verse 6 on that. Now, the first major view is that this water is that of the baptism of John the Baptist. And we want to depart from that and show you why we do not believe that Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus this, in this light. I do not believe that he is explaining to Nicodemus that except a man be baptized with John's baptism and also be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that would be what he would have to be saying. I don't think that is what that Jesus is having Nicodemus to understand. For these reasons, first of all. The baptism of John the Baptist was not a permanent ordinance that was left to the Christian Church. It had a definite beginning. There was no baptism in the Old Testament, and it had a definite ending. It was replaced by Christ's baptism, and there was somewhat distinction on that, in that secondly, I do not believe that this refers to John's baptism because John's baptism was unto repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Be ready. Messiah is right here. Now, if it be a baptism unto repentance, then certainly the Roman uh, position that holds to this being John's baptism or some of the other views could not apply this to infants, because infants can't repent, so that if Jesus is telling Nicodemus, except the man be baptized with John's baptism and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then that certainly would leave out all the infants in the day of Christ because John's baptism was a baptism under repentance and he refused to baptize the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, until they gave evidence of repentance. They came to him, if you remember, to the river of Jordan and were ready to be baptized. And John said, No, no, who warned you to please? from the wrath to come. What evidence do you give forth of repentance? You go and bring forth some evidence, and then I'll baptize you. So we do not believe that this was John's baptism. And then thirdly, we don't believe it was John's baptism because we do not find the apostles practicing John's baptism, but instead they actually rebaptized some of John's disciples. So if it's going to be a regenerating factor, And it's not uh, to be carried on past the life of John the Baptist. We do not believe that there's any way that Jesus is having Nicodemus to understand that this is John's baptism. Now, the second major view is that of the sacramentalists of the Roman Catholic Church, and their position is that this actually means this. Look at your text, John 3, 5. They say that Nicodemus was to understand these words. Except a man receive the sacrament of Christian baptism and be regenerated by the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is how they hold that the term born of water is to be understood. But against this understanding, we present these objections. First, at the moment in which that Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus, there was no such thing as a Christian baptism. That is, Christ had not yet started the baptizing process. So Nicodemus would know nothing about the meaning of this if this was Christian baptism. Do you follow me? Hmm? May I go back and say it again? We are prone to think, well, these uh, because we understand baptism that it's relatively easy to comprehend. But if you'd never been introduced to a term before, and suddenly somebody told you, here, this is baptism, you'd have to ask, well, what is it? Jesus merely explains this, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, and then goes on from there. If baptism had already been instituted and Nicodemus would have understood what he's talking about, that would have been one thing. But Christian baptism had not been instituted at the time in which Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, therefore it could not mean the ordinance of water baptism, here when it says except a man be born of water. Now then again, when Jesus stated here except a man be born of water, the Roman Catholics then take a great Privilege with the Scriptures when they equate that with baptism. Because he is not saying except a man be baptized with water. Jesus did not say that. He said except a man be born of water. Jesus did not say a thing about baptism in this passage of Scripture. But he did say something about being born. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. The question before us in this is not, can one be saved without water baptism? But the question is, can one be saved without being born of water? That's the issue. And the Roman Catholic Church, is guilty of changing the words of our Lord's mouth here. He did not say you must be baptized with water. He did say you must be born of water. There is no warrant in the context of this scripture for making baptized and born as one and the same thing. The thing here to be explained is regeneration by water. Not baptism by water. That's what we have to understand and explain. The word "baptized" does not occur in the thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then what does water mean? Water may be used either in a literal or a figurative or symbolic sense. Now, I have a cup of water here. This is literal water. But I may also speak of water in a symbolic or a figurative sense, and this the Scriptures do. That is, the Scriptures speak of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a literal sense, and they also speak of the symbolism of that ministry in the form of water. This is brought out in the Old Testament. And Nicodemus would be well familiar with what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not introducing some concept which Nicodemus could not understand, for Jesus found fault with Nicodemus, did he not? He said, are you a master in Israel and you don't understand these things? Implying that if he had a proper understanding of the scriptures, he'd be able to understand what it meant. So, Jesus is not throwing some new connotation in that is confused Nicodemus. Nicodemus is confused. How can I be born again? Do I have to go back and enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus then repeats with a double emphasis. Except you be born of water, of, of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Thus... The word water" here, we believe, is a symbolism of spiritual regeneration. Say it again, The water is the figurative symbol of spiritual regeneration. And this is what the mainline commentators upon this passage have taken through the centuries. Look at your text. Our Lord then said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water, the symbolism of the Spirit, and of the Spirit, the real and personal Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is no mention of baptism in the context either of John's baptism or Christ's baptism. There is a literal ministry of the Spirit, and there is a symbolic representation of the ministry of the Spirit. Why, then, would Jesus emphasize it in a double form? Why would he do this? Why would he use a literal answer and a figurative answer? Because Nicodemus is stumbling over this understanding. He's very slow to comprehend it. And if you want to get something through to a person, then you use a double repetition. And that is what Jesus does here. Jesus simply employs a common figure of repetition, in which that he uses two nouns here to describe the one and the same thing. In the Old Testament, if he had been speaking Hebrew, they have what's called Hebrew They'll say one thing and then come right back and repeat it. I do it in my own preaching. You do it every day. For example, let me illustrate. You must be born again. I say you must be regenerated. Now, what have I done? I've used two different terms to describe one and the same thing because I want to make a double emphasis. I repeat it. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you know your scriptures. You know that there is a ministry of the Spirit which must work upon human nature, and you know that in your religious ritual there was water there which symbolized that work of the Spirit. You know that when that priest went in on the Day of Atonement, he was to offer up a sacrifice wherein blood was shed upon the brazen altar. You know that, Nicodemus. But you also know that when that blood was shed, shed, it symbolized the justice of God accepting that sacrifice and removing the wrath of God from the individual. You know that, Nicodemus. You know that blood is symbolic of life, for the life of the flesh is in the what? It's in the blood. Nicodemus, you know that. Your Old Testament religious ritual has taught you that blood was symbolic of life and that God required that the wages of sin is death and that there must be a life given in order for his wrath to be appeased. But Nicodemus, you know something else, too. You know that after that priest shed the blood on the brazen altar, that before he could go on into the tabernacle itself, There was a brazen labor there, filled with water, wherein he was to wash himself, symbolizing that in order to enter into the presence of God, one must not only have the blood shed to remove the wrath of God, but their own nature must be cleansed. And Nicodemus has done the water. Nicodemus, if you're going to enter into the presence of God, You then must come by blood and by water. And you know that the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God upon human nature was symbolized in your Old Testament ritual by the brazen labor, that water that was there. So you must be born of water. You must understand that symbolism. You know what that is, but you must be born of the Spirit. I say it with a double emphasis. You must understand not only the symbolism of the water, but you must also understand the reality of the Spirit, except you be born again, except you be regenerated. As I would say that in preaching a public message for emphasis, our Lord makes this emphasis here, and he's saying using two nouns for double repetition, not saying that there's two different ways of salvation, two different acts but that the work of the Spirit is symbolized by the water of the Word. Now, if he said anything else, he would make himself utterly unintelligent to Nicodemus. He couldn't be referring to John's baptism, couldn't be referring to Christ's baptism. Nicodemus would not have been able to comprehend, but Jesus took him back to his religious system. And said, your system has taught you how to approach God. You must be born of water. That is, you must receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit in order to change one's nature before that one can enter into the presence of God. Before one even can see God, before they can even begin to understand God, they must have this. Now the second... Passage of Scripture or passages of Scripture which the Church of Rome uses are the Scriptures relating to the Great Commission as recorded in the four Gospels. First in John, if we take the Great Commission which is there, and by the Great Commission, the most familiar passage is Matthew: "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them, etc., etc." Each one of the Gospel writers gives us some aspect of the Great Commission. The Book of John in his syllabus upon this Commission begins with the Lord's Supper and carries it right on out to the end of his writings and tells of the death of Christ and what transferred in that. But I ask you to look carefully. You'll not find one reference baptism and john's emphasis in sending out the holy the 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 disciples entirely silent what about luke go with me to luke chapter 24 in your bibles luke chapter 24 luke sends forth or describes the commission of our lord after upon his resurrection in sending forth his disciples and in chapter 24 And verses 45, look what he begins to say. Then he opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance, and what? Remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power on and high, then look, glance down to the remaining verses, and I ask you to observe there is not one word referring to baptism. Significance? If baptism is what secures the remission of sin, and it's the required, absolute, essential ingredient to convey the grace of God, why on earth would it be omitted? Here from the Great Commission. Go and preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Call men to repentance. Show them remission of sins. among his name. The promise of the Spirit will go with you. But no mention of baptism here. I submit to you that if baptism was that which started the Christian experience, surely the apostles would have recorded it here by inspiration of the Spirit. But it is not recorded. Now then, let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew does mention baptism in the form of water. Let us see how he approaches it. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe what whatsoever, uh, observe all things, whatsoever things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, the word baptize is mentioned in verse 19. In your context there, if you read that without any prejudice, without any previous understanding, would you understand that baptism was administered to people who had no understanding of its meaning? Or would you understand that it involved going and teaching the things of the gospel, and then those who were disciples were baptized? How would you understand that? Who were baptized here? Disciples who had been taught. Baptism did not start the Christian experience. But the people who had already become disciples were then baptized as a sign that Christian life had already begun in them. No mention here, no connotation that baptism was what instituted in these people spiritual life, but they were taught. He does not say, go into all the worlds and baptize infants and thereby convey grace unto them. He says, you go and teach men and women of all nationalities, and as you make disciples, then you baptize those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you continue to instruct them in all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now the book of Mark, the gospel commission is presented there. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Here we have a passage that gives us at surface a little more difficulty. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be what? Shall be damned. And this passage it is emphasized here, then, that salvation is so closely connected. Say that he that believeth not shall be damned. It does not say that he does not he who does not believe and is not baptized shall be damned. According to Roman system It should be, he that is not baptized shall be damned. Hmm? That's what they have already affirmed. For baptism is what begins Christian life. An infant is to be baptized prior to their faith. So they can't even use this text right here to justify their position of baptismal regeneration. Brother Jim, do you believe he that that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? I sure do. I believe that he that believeth and is baptized and does good works shall be saved. I believe that he that believeth and is baptized and does good works and loves his neighbor shall be saved. I believe all those things. But I also believe the scripture says he that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Okay? All of these things, now listen, are fruits of regeneration. They're not conditions which lead unto regeneration. That's why you ever get your head screwed on right in this thing of believing, faith itself is an evidence of regeneration. It's not a condition unto regeneration, and the Romans believe with us on that. Repentance and faith are gifts of God. Evangelical obedience is a gift of God. Good works are a gift of God. Loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, our neighbors, ourselves are gifts of God. They are evidences that spiritual life has been set up in the soul. It is not something that a person does in order to get the life of God flowing. Do you follow me on that? When you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, What took place when you did that? If you were sitting under the preaching of the gospel in a service, my friend, it was not that you repented and believed and then God started spiritual life to flow, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is, you were sitting as a dead sinner in trespasses and sins, and suddenly you saw, hey, that's me he's talking about. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, he's talking about. I'm a sinner. Oh God, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I repent and acknowledge that I have a sinful nature and I have committed acts of sin. And I truly believe and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ, the only remedy for sin. Now, what took place there? You became conscious of something that had been set up in your soul. You became conscious you were a sinner, and you became conscious that Jesus Christ is the only satisfaction for sin. Regeneration began in the subconscious, and you became aware of it. Then what did you do? You said, I want to be baptized. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want to identify with the people of God. If my Lord was not ashamed to identify with me in the rivers of Jordan. When his baptism, in which he says, I have a baptism with, in which I'm going to identify with Jim Gables, the sinner, I'm not ashamed of him. Then when Jim Gables repented and believed, I said, I'm not ashamed to identify with you either, my Lord. So that we see then that repentance and faith, justification, sanctification, are evidences of regeneration. And they are not acts which Start regeneration. So therefore, when it comes to this matter of baptism in verse 16 or 15, verse 16 of Mark 16, the emphasis is upon believing as an evidence. It is not baptism which starts the salvation process. Before a person is to be baptized in this text, he must first what? Believe. But the Roman system says it is baptism which starts the grace of God to flow. So I hope then you see then that baptism here cannot be equated with regeneration. Now, Roman has a, the Roman church has a real problem here. What would happen to a man who had faith but wasn't baptized? Hmm? What would he do with him? He's believed, but he hadn't been baptized. What would you have to do with that person? What would Rome do with the thief on the cross? Because Rome says that a man cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven except he's regenerated. And regeneration takes place in baptism, according to their view. Then except a man is baptized, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven, according to the sacramental system. The Roman system has a problem, in that if a man truly exercises faith and repentance, if something keeps him away from baptism, then according to the Roman church, he would what? He'd have to perish to perish but what they've got another problem too what if a man didn't believe but yet he was baptized what would you do with him suppose you went out here on some old reprobate somewhere didn't love the Lord and you tied him down and either sprinkled him or poured a bucket of water on him he said I don't believe I don't believe but that Roman priest poured that water on him what would happen According to the system, he'd be regenerated, have life, but yet he wouldn't have any faith. Hmm? A dilemma, a dilemma, a dilemma. Surely this cannot be the correct understanding of the scripture. Surely then, baptism is not that which conveys spiritual life. Now, there are two other passages in the book of Acts, which I want you to turn with me. And and look at that are used to supposedly support baptismal regeneration. Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight. There are other groups beside the Roman Church which use this passage. The Campbellites. This is their only their favorite passage out of the Bible. Alexander Campbell, I believe it was, is reported to have said, "Give me an axe and two thirty-eights, and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the county." Now, you reflect upon that. Give me an axe, 2.38. Give me an axe and 2.38, and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the county on this. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Here on the day of Pentecost, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For, and that can also, the word for, can either be in order to, or because of. Go to the store for some bread, in order to get some bread. Or, you could have it in another light. Um, I am singing, for I am happy. I am not singing in order to be happy, I am singing because I am happy. Now, you look at that in that light, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. Eis is the little Greek word there, E-I-S, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you, etc., etc. Now, is this text teaching baptismal regeneration? If it is, then spiritual life has not begun in these people, and yet what have they done? They've already been pricked in their heart. The ministry of the Spirit has already come into their nature, and they are sorry for what they've done. So baptism, then, is not a cause of life to begin flowing to them, but it would be an evidence that life had already come to them through the preaching of the gospel. Repent ye, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and be ye baptized. I wish I had time to diagram that passage for you to show where the verbs and the nouns belong there. And you'll see that repentance is connected with the remission of sins and baptism with receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now look on over in another passage in uh, the book of Acts, let's see, I believe it's Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, I can find it here, maybe it's Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 verse 16. Yes, Acts 22 verse 16. The apostle Paul giving his testimony in which it states, And why, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy what? Thy sins calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. So here is another passage in which that they say teaches That it is water baptism which washes away one's sins and brings about divine regeneration. Is that really what this is teaching? Do these passages teach that? Now, either these passages teach one of two things. That baptism is the cause of spiritual life, or else that baptism is the sign of spiritual life. And these passages can be interpreted in either light. That is, either baptism here is symbolic of life having already begun, symbolic of regeneration, or else it actually does start life to start with itself. Now, how many of you really believe that in the case of Paul, with his remarkable experience on the road to Damascus, that he was yet an unconverted man prior to his baptism? Hmm? you really believe that the Apostle Paul had no life in his body, no spiritual flow of grace in his body before he came in contact with the waters of baptism several days later? I don't know what you'd call that great experience on the road to Damascus if that wasn't conversion. If that wasn't conversion, I really don't know what you would call it. Life had already begun in those on the day of Pentecost. Life had already begun in those, or rather, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, there are other scriptures which are presented here. I think that I'll just quote them for you, and you can look at them later, for time's sake is getting away from us. Galatians 3.22, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Also, Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Those are passages used to teach baptismal regenerations. Colossians 2.12, Buried with him in baptism, wherein you also are risen with him through the faith, the operation of God, who finally raised him from the dead. 1 Peter 3.21 The like figure, whereunto even baptism also doth now save us. Now, these are several passages of Scripture which time will not allow us to look at. But I want you to draw these parallels, and then you can see that either one of these truths can be applied to each of these passages of Scripture. Number one, in the Scriptures, there are two creations. There's a literal creation, and there's a figurative creation. Where is it? The literal creation begins back in Genesis, and there is a symbolic or a figurative creation when God saves the sinner. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. One literal, the other figurative. In the Bible, there are two births, the one literal and the one figurative. There is a physical birth, and there is a spiritual birth, a figurative birth. There are two deaths in the Bible. Do you know that? There's a literal death, and there's a figurative death. In the day that you eat thereof, ye shall what? Surely die. Did Adam die literally on that day? No, he lived 930 years. Am I right on that? Don't hold me to that. I believe I'm right. 930 years, and he died? But I tell you, something happened in a figurative or a spiritual sense to Adam right there. He lost his communion with God Almighty. He died. Two creations, two births, two deaths. Do you know there are two resurrections in the Bible? One literal, one figurative. The one literal shall take place when the trump of God sounds, and all are caught up to meet him in the air. There's another resurrection in the Bible that John talks about, and that's a spiritual or a figurative resurrection wherein one passes from death unto life. John chapter 5. When they hear the gospel, they pass from death unto life. Then, there are also two baptisms in the Bible. One literal and one figurative. It is Your duty as a Christian interpreter to examine these passages which deal, which we just mentioned, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, is that a literal water baptism, or is that a baptism of the Holy Spirit, immersing one into Christ, which is known as regeneration? Hmm? It cannot be a literal baptism because it does it breaks down the distinction between male and female. And I've never baptized any female and brought her up out of the water and suddenly she was a male. didn't break any distinction down. But when the Spirit of God baptizes a person into Christ, then they do so so that there's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, bond or free. That is a spiritual baptism. A spiritual ministry. We've all been baptized into Christ. Baptism is a symbolism of the work of the Spirit in the gospel. So since you have two baptisms mentioned in the scripture, as well as two creations, two births, two deaths, two resurrections, then you must discern in those passages whether it's referring to the literal baptism or the spiritual baptism. And there's no warrant just to have a hard-line idea that every time the word baptism occurs that it must refer to water. No warrant whatsoever. For example, in the Roman passage, there's a death baptized into his death. Now, that death is a spiritual death. The resurrection is spiritual. The planting is spiritual. The putting on is spiritual then consistency would require us to understand that that baptism is a spiritual baptism, wherein that we are placed in Christ. Now, one more passage in dealing with this train of thought, with these miscellaneous scriptures, to show that baptism does not start the grace of God flowing. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If baptism starts the Christian experience then you would think the Apostle Paul wouldn't know where to start at, wouldn't you? When he went out on his evangelizing preaching ministry, you would think then that the first thing would have to come first. That's the old saying, first things first. Then if baptism starts the Christian experience, it starts the grace of God flowing, then for heaven's sake, we, let's go out then and get the water on them quick. Let's get them under the water as quick as possible. First Corinthians chapter one and verse fourteen. I thank God that I what? What does your Bible say? I baptized too. None of you. How on earth could the apostle say that if he believed that baptism started the Christian experience? He said, "I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you." Or cry, uh, let's see, um, where am I? But Crispus and Gaius, verse fifteen, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. And besides, I know not whether I baptize any other, for Christ sent me not to what to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Is that in your Bible? Hmm? Then if baptism is what starts the Christian experience, how on earth could Paul rejoice in saying, I haven't baptized any of you people here at Corinth, that wait a minute, there was Crispus and Gaius, and there was Stephanus and his family. Just all those, because Christ did not send me to baptize, he sent me to preach the gospel. I submit to you, I don't know how to understand that passage if baptism starts The grace of God flowing. Now, what is the order of salvation in the scripture? We believe that the scriptures are very clear in this, if we but once comprehend it. That the order of salvation as it comes to man is that regeneration by the Spirit produces repentance and faith which in turn qualifies one for water baptism. Now, get your order. Regeneration, evidenced by repentance and faith, whereupon the ordinance of baptism is administered to that conscious individual. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through the instrumentality of faith, not the cause of faith. Faith is not what turns on the spigot of grace. Faith is the consciousness being brought aware that the grace of God is flowing in the life. It gives me an awareness that I'm in union with Jesus Christ. It makes me conscious. Are you conscious that you were in Adam? Hmm? How many of you? Let me see. You, I don't, I'm not a hand holder. I'm not the one Call everybody raise their hand. How many of you remember Adam sinning? Hmm? Some of you that old? <laughs> you remember that day Adam sinned in the garden? Yet the scripture says that you sinned in Adam. Why can't you remember that? You don't have to remember the day, but my friend, I may not remember being in Adam back there, but I know Adam was in me. He was a sinner. I'm a sinner. Is that not right? I know he. I got his nature somehow. Now, I became conscious that I wasn't always conscious of it. As a little infant, I had no comprehension of that. But as I grew into maturity, I became conscious of being in Adam. And his old remnant and nature is still hanging around. Now then, when God regenerated me by the sovereign grace of God, I became conscious that the Spirit of Christ had set up his work within me. And what did I do? I repented, I believed, and I wanted to identify with Christ in the gospel. Confess that externally. So the grace of God flows. It is evidenced and comes to the consciousness in the life of the sinner through repentance and faith, whereupon they are then baptized. Now, let's look at some passages on the day of Pentecost again. Don't turn there for time's sake. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. What did Peter require before he baptized these people? Repentance. Now follow with me, this is the difficult part. Spiritual life already had to begun prior to repentance. Okay? Baptism occurred after repentance. Baptism cannot regenerate. You see that? Hmm? Peter refused to baptize anybody who could not give evidence of a work of the Spirit. But Rome says that baptism starts the work of the Spirit. You can't have it both ways. What about Peter also in the household of Cornelius? He says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which hath received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Hmm? All right, it's time to vote them into the church. What does he say happened? They've already received the Holy Spirit. Now, can we hold withhold baptism from them? Rome says the Holy Spirit is conveyed through baptism. These people couldn't have had the Holy Spirit until they got baptized, according to Rome's position. What about Acts chapter 11? Turn there, quickly. Bear with us on this this evening. We normally do not go this this long, but I hope that it will be profitable for you. Acts chapter 11. Peter has to vindicate his ministry. Now, verses 15 through 17. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, that is, the Gentiles, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift, as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, as much as God gave them faith, as he gave us faith. What was I that I could withstand God? That is, if they had had the ministry of the Spirit, how could I keep but from baptizing them? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles done what? What is it? Granted what? Repentance unto life. Peter said, I had a right to baptize those people because they experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit. Baptism didn't start that grace flowing. They were baptized after the grace of God had started flowing and evidenced itself in repentance and faith. Now, what conclusion can we reach from this? Several other passages, but we cannot take time to touch upon them uh, this evening. Peter baptized these persons because God granted the Spirit unto them. To do otherwise, then, would have been to stand against God. Therefore, the gift of the Spirit was to be expressed in baptism. And it was not the cause of God bestowing the Spirit upon them. Baptism is to be administered as a sign... An external sign of a state of grace already begun, and not as a sacrament to cause the grace of God to flow. This being the case, then this view of sacramental grace as held by Rome, this view then of infant salvation, which grounds itself in the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, must be rejected as false for two reasons. Quickly, number one, it misrepresents the nature of God's redemptive plan. By grace are you saved through faith, and when the person truly believes, then they are to be baptized. This position misrepresents God's redemptive plan, and that says that one must be baptized first in order to start life flowing. And then secondly, this view of baptismal regeneration should be rejected as false because it provides for the perishing of infants who die unbaptized. It might answer the question of where an infant goes who is baptized, but it definitely does not provide for the salvation of an infant who dies unbaptized. Now, how does that settle with you folks? Some of you may have lost infants, children, and they weren't baptized by a Roman priest. Hmm? Is that the answer you want from the word of God, that except your little one come in contact with water as administered by a Roman priest, they cannot enter heaven? Or is there a far more beautiful gospel answer that God can apply the atonement of the blood and remove that little one from the wrath of God, and he can also unconditionally regenerate that little one's nature and give it a holy nature wherein it can enter into the kingdom of heaven. God can do that. He does do that. And that is the hope of our salvation for our infants who die. In infancy, let us not look to Rome, let us not look to the waters of baptism, but let us look to the water and the blood which flows from the side of the Savior, the blood to atone, to remove God's wrath, symbolizing that, and the water which flowed out of his side, symbolizing the purifying of, sanctifying of the nature wherein that that child And any sinner that has that applied can enter into the presence of God. Let's close in prayer.